the table, the official podcast of New York's world famous comedy seller coming at you on Sirius XM 99. And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, Dan Natterman here with Perry L. Ashenbrand, the producer and on-air personality. Things sort of just evolved that way. It wasn't the intention at the outset, but that's how it is. We also have Noam Dorman, owner of the world famous comedy seller and mandolinist extraordinaire. You might have heard a few of Few, a little strumming there that he was doing for us. We also have a comedy, a relatively new comedy seller, uh, regular comedian named, well, his name is Tanel Joaquim, I believe. That's right. But everybody just calls him TJ because it's easier. And he was born and raised in Haiti, started performing stand-up in 2012 and has quickly gained a lot of attention. He's a regular in all the New York comedy venues and his debut special comes out January 3rd on Amazon Prime. What's that called, TJ? It's called January 3rd, actually. It's already out there. That's the title. The title is January. Oh, it's debut special. January 3rd is available on it. I misread that. Okay. Well, we'll probably want to ask you why you named it that. I guess there's a reason. And of course, he not of course, but like almost every comic, he has a podcast. It's called Raw (laughs) Beef with Sean Patton and Wilfred Padua. You are right the first time. Of course. Yeah, of course. Every comic has a podcast. So welcome, TJ. To thank our you. program, I believe you're making your debut here with us. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate and, it. And oh. wh- why do you call your special January 3rd? There must be a story behind that's, that. Uh, that was that's the day I was born, and I got to tape it on January 3rd, 2020, before the world shut down. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you taped your special on your birthday. That's interesting. And yeah, that was nice. And you're a young man. I I I guess you're in your 20s or 30s. Early 30s. I'm Early 32. 30s. Well, you're very lucky. I'm jealous. Of anybody that I had my chance and I blew it. <laughs> How old are you, Dan? I'm uh, 51 years young, but I'll be. 50. Oh, you look great. Well, thank you. That's what people say. <laughs> and they can't all be lying. So I'll assume it's true. Um, Noam, how are you tonight? You seem a little uh, off. Uh, well, you know, we had we had that uh, we had a kind of tragedy uh, here. So, you know, um, an old, an old uh, member of a uh, comedy seller committed suicide, you know. I, I thought you were aware. Well, I have been made aware. Um, so you're asking just to, so I would say that? No, I said I have been made aware, oh. as you as you as you had mentioned. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Obviously. Um, yeah. Did that bring the show down? Probably. No, I don't but think so. I we'll... think it's important <laughs> to talk about that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh... We talk about this a lot on my podcast. So actually, I had a, had a suicide episode recently. Yeah, I mean, I think that taking the stigma away from suicide is really an important thing to talk about. What's the stigma? I think that, you know, people are always shocked when people kill themselves. And um, I think that people probably think about killing themselves a lot more than they let on, but you're not really supposed to talk about it. And if you were allowed to talk about it more, maybe it would be easier for those people to get help. You don't just kill yourself the first time you think about killing yourself is what I'm saying. Right. It's like if you kill yourself, it's something that like you've been thinking about for a long time or you've thought about many times. And there's the other stigma that it's selfish for somebody to kill themselves. And I don't think that's true at all. Yeah, I, I think that you have to be in an unspeakable amount of pain. That's right. And it probably takes a lot of fucking balls to go through it. To call it selfish basically means you made it about you. Yeah. The person who's alive. Right. Which is insanity. Why would you do that? 
I think that most people who kill themselves think that the world would be, and the, and the people that they love would be better off without that person, which is, you know. On some level, yeah. I think that's people who murder, <laughs> No, I listen, I, I have a lot, unfortunately, of people throughout the course of my life who, you know, were very close to me and family members who have done that. So, you know, I'm, it's, um, you know, it's, it's really, really um, heartbreaking. And I don't know, I was, you know, I met your friend for the first time, you know, just a couple of months ago, you um, plopped me down at a table with several people and then disappeared as you are want to do. <laughs> and so I wound up, you know, really talking to him for, I don't know, two, three hours. And he was- um, Now I understand. <laughs> 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 go ahead so, go ahead sorry no he was really <laughs> so dynamic and smart and funny and you know i mean he was dr drinking a lot um but he was really really happy to see you yeah well th this was i mean i i i know I, I don't know if i want to talk about it but i i'll say this that uh i, I guess i, I um so this was a guy who uh, was, um, uh, I, I want to make this interesting to listeners, but this was a guy who was extremely, 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 extremely special guy, kind of um, just one of these guys who could um, hang with any group of people. He was a fantastic athlete. He was Manhattan darts champion, but he was also, um, I wouldn't call him an intellectual, but he, but he had an intellectual spirit. You know, uh, he, he, you could, he was interested in, in ideas and things like that. And um so he could basically hang out with any, and he was extremely funny. Zero queen bee. People used to flock to him. He could hang out with anybody. And then was my father, musician? no, I wasn't a musician, but he, but he had a very sophisticated uh, musical ear. He knew like, he knew like underground hip hop. And he also knew Brazilian music. And he turned me on to Gil Scott Heron in the nineties. And, um, but he also, you know, like the Beatles, like he, he was, he was, he was he was black Puerto Rican, so he also knew a lot of salsa music. But he was he was a very 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 unusual guy, and my father loved him, and uh, we were very 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 close, like every day hanging out close for for many years. And then he had like a mental breakdown, and he he um, was acting um, crazy, a manic depression, and apparently he had this. It was a common pattern. He'd had this when he was like eighteen. And then it went away. This is a common thing for people with manic depression. Apparently they, they have a, an incident and then it, it goes into remission as it were for many years and then can come back again as you approach your thirties or something. So that, that was the pattern he had. And um, so it then gets since, worse each time, right? This, the episode usually progressively gets. No, worse. I don't, I don't think he got worse and worse. I think he got actually milder, but anyway, so without going into the, 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 the very upsetting and, and maybe two personal um, circumstances around the suicide. I just want to say that, you know, if you remember, I had another friend who died, um, Glenn Miller, who was on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he, at the time of COVID, he was blind and had HIV, but this is a real cheerful podcast. He was blind and had HIV and um, <clears throat> was on dialysis and he could not get through to get vaccinated. Remember, he couldn't yeah, find yeah, any, remember, any phone number, his busy signals. And he was both, he was, he was uh, 
blind, incapacitated, and high risk, you know? So he was exactly the kind of person that you would think the government would prioritize itself to help first. Sick, disabled, elderly. These are the people you would think the bureaucracy would, would make job one, but they don't. And so, you know, I had to get him vaccinated. He ended up dying of something that wasn't related to COVID. But similarly, in this situation, my friend um, who, who just committed suicide, he, he had an incident and the people who were there begged him, his family begged the cops, I believe this is true, begged the cops to take him to a mental hospital. And they didn't. They took him to a regular uh, processing and order protection and blah, blah, blah. And he wound up, um, you know, it, it set across, it set, set, in, set in motion some dominoes, which I, I truly think uh, if, if led to his death. And, and once again, it just, it, just, it just brings out to me. Now, this, this issue has been touched on many times since, um, you know, the uh, George Floyd and the, the issue of um, people with mental issues and how the cops handle them. And this is a very deep issue. And in this situation, you know, they didn't, and he had, a, he had a history, like they could look it up, they could have known he had, but they didn't take him to a mental hospital. And, um, and so the, the, the result of that was that he ended up with an order of protection and couldn't go home. Um, and this led to his, I can't talk about it. I just can't talk about it. Well, to switch gears to something a little less heavy, I asked, I assigned uh, the documentary on Caitlyn Jenner on Netflix. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to watch didn't it. Get a chance to watch it. Well, I I would just say that I recommend it highly. It's very interesting, and um, I'm not a sports fan, but I love a good sports drama. And it gets into Bruce's um, winning the gold medal at Montreal, which was fascinating. What year was that? That was in 1976. Oh wow. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a big moment in sports when he won the. Um... Well, apparently he he had his period, so it was really amazing that he was able to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not allowed to make a joke like that. Okay, good. I'm not sure we'll find out. But uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm not dead naming because Caitlin <laughs> refers to him as Bruce. Right. At the end of the documentary, he says, "No, that was Bruce that won that medal." So I don't know that every trans person feels that way. Yeah, I mean, at some point in history, there was a man named Bruce. That man is no longer there, but, you know, I don't think that's dead naming to say that. Well, well I, I well, think, according to some, that might be, or so, some trans people don't even want to acknowledge that their yeah. former identity yeah, that, that's right. existed, so. and, and some, I guess, do, and some would refer to Bruce as a he and some as a she, but Caitlin seems to be saying it was a he, his name was Bruce, he won right. a gold medal, in 76. So, so, you know, I've had, I have three friends of various uh, um, levels of friendship, uh, one of them extremely close who became trans and um, the, the other two I only knew, uh, but they were already uh, transitioned. And then um, I, I met some other people peripherally through my friend who became trans. But anyway, the, what, what I found from talking to them is that they're not that sensitive about these things. That's that's been over and over. They're like, no, we understand that people close to us have trouble remembering and it's awkward. Mm -hmm. This is one of these things which, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or squeaky wheel gets attention. But I think that in reality, I mean, anything, if, if you do it with a with a disrespect, 
that speaks for itself. But I don't. But other. But other than that, I don't think people are. I, I suspect that the trans community is not up in arms about like if you refer to Bruce Jenner as Bruce Jenner, because I understand you're trying to describe Bruce Jenner, you know, you're it saying was. it's like Latin X. Yes. Yes, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's one of these things which which no real people, real people don't use it. But you, you have to but say like it. white people say Latin X yeah. and like yeah. anybody who's it's young white liberals. Yeah. Use that term. yeah. 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 Never met a Hispanic right. Exactly. To themselves that way. Have you ever seen a, a trans or known a trans person or known of a trans person that seemed less, say, a trans woman that seemed less feminine in their male incarnation than Bruce Jenner? Hmm. You no, know, my, my friend, uh, uh, he's been on his podcast. I said my friend Michael, who, who transitioned, was didn't have a feminine uh, bone in his Almost not a feminine bone in his body. He was a dancer, but but you know that's not feminine. Well, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean he he was banging women three at a time. I mean okay, this guy this, this guy's a real man. I think <laughs> he was, that he was the, like Fredo. <laughs> yeah. I think that the point is is that there needs to be a distinction made between you know people sometimes accidentally misgendering people and just blatant disregard for respect. Yeah, when the Noam Noam said that fairly explicitly. But wait a second. But the other part of that is in some cases, it's actually very dangerous to misgender somebody and you put people's lives at risk. Like there are people- Why is it dangerous? Because if you are in a place that's conservative, it can get you killed. I mean- You think you're you're passing as, like you're passing as a- as, as a, not as a cisgender 100 percent. yeah i, I mean in fact there are like documented cases of that happening in places like alabama and i mean all you have to do is look it up yeah i, I well you you're not you're 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 not you're uh conspic- you, you know like if somebody if told me good job and not badly, to germany but- yes it's like it's <laughs> <laughs> but um i i suspect that that's uh not that regular a story periel but all right I'm just saying, I think um, like we shouldn't be cavalier and I'm not saying you are being at all. No, I'm just saying in general, I think that most trans people, people are aware that they're trans. And if you're and if your passing is not trans, I mean, it, why, why would you even stay in on it? So you, so why would you stay in some KKK neighborhood? If you well, know that your secret, you know that your secret can get you killed. Like, why would you even stay there? It just seems like you're talking about very few people. But all right. What was the Hillary Swank movie? Boys Don't Cry. I that's the I, one. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. I mean, that's what? a true story. It's about yeah. Well, so I'm saying like like a, a true story that it's about a woman that became a man, and then when they, they found out she was a woman in in some small town in the in the south, I guess it was, mm-hmm. and then when they found out that she was a man, they I think they well, sorry, a woman became a man when they found out she was a woman. I mean he was a woman or he was born a woman oh, yeah, right. they yeah. raped and killed him and yeah so this is a true story and and it's i just saying it's def- it's dangerous to assume too much from a single story to think that this is a widespread thing and also attitudes have changed quite a lot on top of that so well, I think anyway you know on where you are yeah well anyway In any case, everybody knows caitlin's story so there's no risk of revealing secrets there so what was no. so compelling about this documentary? Well, two aspects were compelling. Number one, the transition 
of 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 Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn. I'm getting a little crackly on my sound, Nicole. I don't know if there's anything. Okay, it's okay. Um, but also, I found the best part was the sports part. The sport, the part about this athlete who got tenth place at the Munich Games in '72, and he, she talks about how she was watching the medal ceremony in '72, and the Russian guy who won the decathlon that year was getting the gold medal around his neck. And Bruce at the time said, that's what I want. And that's what I'm going to get and set and set a course toward that end and single-mindedly pursued gold in the decathlon, got the gold, became probably the most famous athlete in America at that time. I mean, I even know, you know, for me to know an athlete <laughs> means that athlete is pretty damn famous because I don't, Hey, it means they're either famous or they're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're Jewish, they're probably famous for being Jewish. Yeah, and, we know, like, like uh, Mark, Mark Spitz. Mark Spitz, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, How many famous Jewish athletes are there? Well, that's the point, TJ. Nicole, <laughs> no, turn him up a little yeah, bit. I can't hear him. Yeah, there, there's Mark Spitz. There's uh, Sandy Koufax. Who's Sandy Koufax? Yeah, I've never that's heard That's a, any... a baseball player from back in the day. One of the great, any... greatest baseball players of all time. Are there any famous Jewish athletes now? Yeah, I mean, then Julian Mark Edelman is about an eighth Jewish, but <laughs> that's as good as we're going to get. So we got to we got to go with him. We got to pin all our hopes Not on Julian in the Edelman. NBA. Huh? In the Not, NBA? Yeah, I, I don't think so. But I, I think there used to be back in the in the days when it was white people in the NBA. Why? Why is it that nobody assumes discrimination when there's no Jews athletes? Like what? Why? Why is like Jews and why is Jews in sports the one thing that people say? Well, I guess those people just don't want to be athletes. Like what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> like in, in any in any other context, you but take do they say you take, that, or do they say they're not good at it, or do they say both, or whatever, or they say they're not good at. It. But in any other context, you take a score and then you say, oh, there's something, there's something going on here. This is fishy. We know this is this is a this is this is obvious discrimination. Like why are there not why are there not more women uh, firefighters? Oh, that's discrimination. That must be discrimination. But why are there not more Jewish firefighters? He was like, like of course, it's not Jewish firefighters. <laughs> <laughs> As, you know, they pick and choose what they want to assume. Anyway. Well, in any case, just getting back to the documentary. So that's what I thought was the best. But then it got to the transition and the, the reality show and all that, which was interesting, but not as interesting to me as just the raw drama of the 76 Olympics. Uh, yeah, so well, that, and that was that was that was 72 was when the the um, the Jewish athletes were killed. Yeah, right. They didn't go into that. They just talked about the uh, decathlon that year. We can turn yeah. anything Jewish on this podcast. <laughs> Are all three so, of you Jewish? We happen to be. Yes. And so I always say when Periel asked me, who should we book? I say any Gentile available <laughs> because enough is enough. <laughs> That's true. So you were born in Haiti. I was born and raised in Haiti. Yeah, I came over here in 2008. How did, how, under what uh, what circumstances did you come in? Under dire circumstances or? Um, no, I'm, I'm fairly lucky. I came with a student visa. Yeah, I came here to go to, you know, college. I went to school in Long Island and uh, I, I spent two years. Then I realized it was kind of a waste of time and I dropped out and became a comedian. So your and parents are still back in Haiti? They are. Are you one of the 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 upper class uh, Haitian? Not upper, but I would say I I was lucky in my neighborhood. I was the kid where my parents got lucky enough that other kids would come to my house to eat, even though there was no food at their house. So oh, we wow. did okay. We so, weren't so, upper class, but weren't poor. 
that's, you, that's, the term middle class doesn't even really exist in Haiti, but we did OK. Yeah. So your family is still there, but things are very things are very tough over there now. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. It's been like a crazy just couple of months because you have the, the president's murder followed by the storm season. Then you have an earthquake. And then there's been this whole thing happening in Texas with the migrants who got Jeez. some crazy information that because there's there's a whole group of Haitians who left after the 2010 earthquake and they went to South America, Chile, uh, Venezuela, a bunch of countries. And apparently someone told them that the U.S. was actually giving papers to any Haitians who got in. So they all got on this great migration and traveled across South America and got to the Texas border. And they got there, they realized it wasn't true. Oh. So now Biden is sending a lot of them back. It's horrible. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's a weird thing to have to live with and just because that's your people. So it, it's a sense of shame all the time. It's very strange. What, what is growing up in Haiti? Uh, obviously, a lot of Haitians want to come to the United States. But what what was the opinion of the United States among the hate? Was it America's great? We love America. We can't wait to go. Or America's imperialist. You know, what, what was the sense growing up? Mostly the great part. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of us have cousins who came earlier. So they, you know, they would come every every couple of years or so. So we would see how they live. You'd see that their success stories. So it's always this dream that a lot of us have to come to the U.S. And when you see something like Haitians being sent back at the border, does that what is that? Does that affect your opinion of the United States or do you just say, well, you know, they have an immigration policy and they're and they're following it or, or did, how do, how do it's you it's a little proceed? bit of both? Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, if you take 10,000 people and just put them in this country, what, what's going to happen to them? So a country has laws. But there's also the complicated subject of Haiti is partly the way it is because of America. So it's like, is there a duty on the American side to sort of help Haitians because Haiti isn't the state it is because of what America did? There's a lot of stuff that goes with Haiti was taken over by the U.S. for 19 years, 1915 to 1934. And then during the 90s with Clinton, there was a lot of stuff that went wrong where they really basically dropped uh, chemical stuff in the on certain beaches in Haiti that really set us back. There's just a lot of history there as to why it is the way it is. And it's, it's very tricky to say, well, America owes us to take those people. I don't know if that's something I would say, but it's very complicated. I think it's a totally reasonable thing to say. And I also think that what it's 10,000 people you know, yeah. it's not like it's a million people. And yeah. like, obviously, they were given information. They didn't just fucking show up here. Right. And I just think as a human rights issue, it's actually really. Um, and the point a lot of people were making is America is taking a bunch of Afghans of from course. what just recently happened. So why not do the same with Haitians? Of course. Yeah. And no. just like a, just like a moral, ethical obligation. Also, the way it was done was just so disgusting. Yeah, the optics were horrible. Well, they were on horseback. I know that. that I mean, was, what uh, the whips. fuck was that? Yeah. Oh, well, Periel, I mean, listen. Yes, Noam? I know. I, I, listen, just to preface it by. Um, preface it. If, if the United States um, wants to bring in 10,000 Haitians for humanitarian reasons, I, I'm totally fine with that. 
being fine with that is not the same thing as saying that the United States has an obligation to do so. If, if um, people show up at the border from South America uh, on, a, on, on some sort of um, incorrect rumor that they can come in, I mean, uh, that's not, that doesn't create a moral obligation uh, in the United States to, to set policy. They can go back. They're not coming from Haiti. They're coming from South America. It's not like they're coming from an earthquake. They're coming from Venezuela. And, you know, these countries are, are I mean, second world countries. They, 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 they had a life there. Complete shackles. But what wherever, about, I mean, wherever they come from, they're not coming. What I'm saying is they're not coming from a disaster area. They're coming from a S- South America. And yeah, it's um, Chile and Brazil. And Chile and Brazil. So, I mean, you know, I mean, like and, and there, there is there is the, you know, pre- precedent that gets set. That if a, you know you just show up and and now we have to come in. I mean, we have to we have to at some point reckon with the fact that there's probably and I'm not even exaggerating a billion people in you know uncomfortable situations around the world who would get a ticket tomorrow if we told them they could come into the United States. It's just you know that there has to be rules. I, you know, listen, I have a very. I, I would, in other words, if we if it was ten thousand people who showed up from a, an earthquake in Haiti. I would find that a, a human rights, a, a lot, I find it a lot more of a human rights issue there. 10,000 people who show up from a country like Brazil or, uh, you know, what, what was the other country you said? Uh, Chile. Or Chile. I said, well, go back to Chile. Like, you know, it's, it's like, you're not, Here's the thing. what's wrong with Chile? See, going back to Chile or Brazil is somewhat acceptable. I think the, the mistake they made was they took them back to Haiti, which is a place where a lot of them haven't been for 11 years. Oh, that I can't. Well, were they not authorized to go back? To, were they illegally or undocumented in, in Chile and, and uh, Brazil? Or were they allowed to live in those countries? No, the majority of them were documented and they were living there. The I guess it's this is, mindset yeah. that America is better. So if we get a chance to come to America, we'll come to America. But the fact and, and as far and the last thing, as far as horseback is concerned, now there, there was this awful misinformation that people were being whipped. And, you know, that was. That would they had you know was retracted, but sure the the rumor still persists. But um, I don't know I that, mean, that was that retracted. I mean, I saw videos and pictures of it. No, you did not. You did not see a video or picture of anybody being whipped. Come on now. I did. What are you talking about? Uh, it was all over the news. You no, know, you you need. It was all. It was not. It was. It never happened. Nobody was whipped. Um. Were, are you saying that there were not? Um. There was nobody on horseback with whips. That's what you're saying. They, they were. They were, may have been. They had. They had whatever reins for the horses. Nobody. Nobody was whipped. But they were. But they. But they were on horseback. And I don't know. I understand. There's a look to that. But I don't know what the alternative is in terms of practical reality. In terms of being able to do that job. Uh, well, and if it's in rugged terrain. Yeah, you have to be above people. Same. We have horses. We have cops on horseback in New York City. Yeah, we should for a reason. There for a different reason, but that's a different animal rights conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. Right, but I'm saying that there is a practical reason that cops are on horseback, and I mean, you, you know, you're going to always take the side of humanitarian. Yes, I am. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's not. It's not a humanitarian side to it is that a somebody's humanitarian on, side. That somebody's take, on a horseback. No, that you don't take 10,000 people and send them back to Haiti and handle the situation the way it was handled. It was horrible. All right, Perry. All right. 
I like the diversity of opinion on this podcast. Well, that's the point of this podcast. And Noam is never afraid. Unlike me, Noam is never afraid to say what he means. Well, listen, I said again, I would take the, the I, I'm not a, I'm not saying I don't want the Haitians to come in. God forbid, I'm not saying that at all. I know you're not saying that. I know but I'm saying that, that I'm saying that A, I mean, you're, me you're, you you're, coming per, you're coming perilously close to saying that Haitians, by definition, are in perilous circumstances. And I want to, to, to remind again that the story is these were Haitians coming from Chile, not from the disaster in Haiti. That got and, sent and being, back to the disaster in Haiti. It's being well, I don't know why they're sent back, but from there they should go back to Chile. But it's being conflated as if. So what's your issue that we didn't let them in or that we sent them back to Haiti? Both. Well, OK, let's take them one at a time then. OK, let me and I'm ask saying, you this. If they came here from Canada, how do you think it would have been handled? Not Haitians, just think 10,000 people, 10,000 people can come in from Canada. If, and, and 10,000 Canadians landed. Well, my dear friend Graham K got tossed out. <laughs> did not take 10,000 Canadians. Okay. Did he really? Yeah. I mean, he, he came back eventually. He, um, I love him. Um, you know, he, I think he asked me to write, um, <laughs> some note, like, you know, we really need him here or something like that. Did you? Does he have a green card now? Is it safe? Is he safe? Yeah, I think he, I think he's authorized to be here. Okay. Yeah, I got my green card in 2019 and the weight that that got off my shoulders just having that and just feeling less of a oh something might happen did, I can't do what I want to, to get do. a green card. Did you need what, what did you need to uh, show? Did you need to show that that you bring something to the table that we can't? Yeah, there's this thing called alien of extraordinary ability. That's yeah, you. Show that you performing great. everywhere and it cost a whole lot of money. It was a whole thing. But yeah, it was like five, six years of anguish because I had to transfer from a student visa to a TPS, which is temporary protected status. And from that, just gradually go to green card. Apparently, we took a lot of people from planet. We took a lot of people from Krypton on that visa. I, think. <laughs> I have an accent because I'm from a different place. That's how accents work. <laughs> it's very interesting when you have an accent because you get to find out who's an idiot when you talk to people. You do. This girl came up to me recently. She goes, you have a bit of an accent. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Haiti. I'm Haitian. She goes, oh my God, that is like so cute. I have never been to Africa before. <laughs> I was offended for a second. How the hell do you not know that Haiti is in Brooklyn? How is that even a question? I thought everybody knew. I go by TJ sometimes because I have a real difficult and ethnic name to pronounce. So I use my initials, TJ. But my real name is Thomas Jefferson, so I use that to make it easy for people. You know? I don't look like a Thomas Jefferson, I don't. Maybe one of his kids, but not him. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> this joke is how I find out who went to college in the audience. <laughs> I have a thing with names. I like people's names. Because you meet somebody, they tell you the name. It's supposed to match the person. Sometimes I meet people and the name doesn't match. Recently, I met an old guy, 97 years old, really old, almost dead at this point. <laughs> this 97-year-old guy, you know what his name was? Kevin. God. It's fucking weird. You can't be Kevin at 97. Nobody's gonna sit by a fire listening to the wisdom of Kevin. <laughs> Kevin doesn't know shit. He's trying to be a DJ. <laughs> he owns a hoverboard. 
He wears a t-shirt with a picture of a cat that says crushing pussy. That's the kind of guy Kevin is. You can't trust Kevin. That's also true for women. I've never met a beautiful young little girl named Gladys. I've never seen that. You know why? Because Gladys is a grown woman who's been through some grown woman shit. Gladys is a friend with Courtney and Ashley. Those are 90s babies. You know who Gladys is friends with? Gertrude and Eunice. Those are Gladys' friends. <laughs> she doesn't know Halle Berry. She knows Harriet Tubman. <laughs> now, is there stand-up in Haiti? Like, do you perform? Did you ever perform? In now, that's an interesting question. I mean, Perry, generally not authorized to change subjects. <laughs> <laughs> but I will give you that. That is an interesting question. Stand-up in Haiti, yes. Yes, there is. It's fairly new. Uh, I performed there in 2018. In Creole? In Haitian Creole and English. Wow. Yeah. It was it was a little weird because it's so new that people don't know what to do with it. Right. We have comedy, but it's very much farcical, just sketch, and people dressing up as other people to make fun of it. But just a guy with a microphone talking, it's somewhat new, so you have to sort of hold the audience's hands and be like, this is what this is and all of it. That was a festival that. So you just did the festival in, in Port-au-Prince. In Port-au-Prince. You know, yeah. I know JetBlue goes to Port-au-Prince. We were talking about JetBlue goes, Delta goes, American Airlines go. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of air service to Jet. Uh, so, so apparently, uh, from, from what Will has told me, Wilson Vince is a household name in Haiti. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Will, Will Sylvins wasn't even born in Haiti. No, but he has the well, accent. He has an accent. It's not Haitian, right? Yeah, Will has a speech impediment. It's a speech impediment <laughs> that he has. <laughs> Yeah, for years I thought it was a Haitian accent. <laughs> but uh, giving uh, us a bad name. He's a sweet guy, but sometimes I, I'm like, what's going on, Will? By the way, I played, I played uh, one night with Wycliffe uh, at the, the Village Underground. I, I played oh, guitar. Nice. What did you play? Were you guys on stage together playing music? On uh, stage together, yeah. He, I, I, I was, I was supporting Wycliffe uh, for a few songs. Uh, right. But that was before. Now that was before he uh, didn't. He have some controversy. He ran for president of Haiti, and then he got caught with money or something. What happened with White? True. Yeah, he went for president, but he wasn't uh, at the end. He wasn't qualified because the constitution says you have to be a Haitian citizen, and you have to have lived in the country for five years prior to the election. Is that the law they're planning on following over there in terms of political stuff? That, They've been that's trying the one to change they're going to hold on to? They've been trying to change it. Aren't they like murdering like people like left <laughs> and right over there? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But Wyclef is also one of those success stories because he came here in, well, I don't remember the year, but it was nine years old. He came from a very poor part of Haiti. His dad was a pastor and he was sort of, he just migrated to Jersey and then, he always knew how to play music from his dad's church, and that turned into the white club from the Fugees that we now know. By the way, if, if Haitians can't get into America, I, doesn't Quebec have a fairly liberal policy with regard to uh, Haitian immigrants? There's a pretty nice, uh, sizable Haitian population in, in Canada, in Montreal for the most part, but Ontario and Ottawa, there's still a couple of Haitians there too. Because I know that because of the association with the French language, uh, yes, the, the yeah. Quebecers. I at some I think we're encouraging, in fact. Uh, but I guess it's it's farther. And now, here's my question. Yeah, it's very cold. There's a lot of adjustments you got to make. That's why, like, you'll notice the Haitians that are in Canada are generally upper class Haitians because they are they were able to travel mm. to Canada as opposed to Haitians who might have illegally got to Miami. Oh, wow. Because that's just the proximity of it. 
You know, if you don't have papers, you're not going to swim all the way to Montreal. That's insanity. So I, by uh, the way, I was in Haiti a couple of times, you know, uh, um, I mean, the, uh, when I was used to do cruise ships, Royal Caribbean cruise line actually like basically owns a part of Haiti. They, there's like a part of Haiti called Labadee. It's the, it's one of the most beautiful beaches that we have in the North. Yeah. Uh, but you, but if you're Haitian, you can't go there. Yeah. You, they walled it off. It's like, I mean, you can work there. It's like a little thing for it's like tourists. It's an enclave that I think Royal Caribbean yeah. literally owns it. That is yeah. so insane. And, and you dock there. Ariel cracks me up. Go ahead, Dan. That's enraging. The most beautiful pe beach in Haiti, and you can't go, the Haitians can't go there. Can they, can they go why there? Do, why don't you ask the Haitians if, they, if they're happy to have all the money that comes in from the Royal Caribbean cruise line that wouldn't come in if they didn't have access to that beach? Why don't you ask why them? Why can't the Haitians use it also? Because Some Haitians they, use it. I think they wall it off from like uh, poor people. Oh, but middle okay. class and upper class Haitians. I went. They didn't see Haitian one. <laughs> see, see Periel, Periel refuses to, to acknowledge hard, difficult truth. Like, for instance, if you have a whole bunch of people coming from a cruise line, number one, they provide a tremendous amount of money to an economy that has many doesn't have many things to make money from. Number one. Number two, when you start allowing uh, uh, poor people, this is harsh, but it's true. Then you have all the crime and security problems that go with that on a beach filled with rich tourists. So this is a this is a difficult logistical problem and you can shake your head and roll your eyes about it but the fact is in real life what would happen is they would find a different the, the cruise line would find a different beach and Haiti okay. would be out the money. I and am this not is disputing that that is a reality. My issue is with the solution. I don't think walling it What's off. What's your solution? Horseback? What's your solution? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the thing is that poverty is a terrible, terrible thing in the world. And um, there's no easy answers to this stuff. And everything seems harsh when you when you any any decision you make. But the fact is that th these are very, very difficult things to do. But I have a question. So Dominican Republic, which shares the island, was island of Hispaniola. Hispaniola. Mm -hmm. It's uh, is 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 um, a more successful, uh, has a higher standard of living. There's a country. What would yes. happen if 10,000 10, Haitians showed up in the Dominican Republic? Can they go there? There's a lot uh, of Haitian immigrants here, but yeah, there's a there's a decent amount where we've always been fighting over that Haitians will cross the border to go to the Dominican Republic. I don't think they would allow 10,000 Haitians in, though. Yeah, it's ironic because I have a friend, a close friend who's Dominican, and he's always like, you know, lambasting America because America is not taking uh, enough millions of immigrants. We have millions and millions. Right. And I'm like, well, what about. You taking some Haitians in the Dominican Republic. And he's got a million <laughs> answers for me about that. You know, it's like You're only talking about Franco Murillo. Yeah, yeah. Only America is supposed to take, uh, you know, everybody, everybody. Well, and I God mean, bless you. You know, America's benefited from immigration, no doubt. I'm just, I'm not saying America shouldn't take immigrants, but everything has a limit. You know, we, you know what are we going to do? Can We're I having problems. Authorization to ask TJ one more question. Sure. Authorization granted. Thank you. <laughs> what do your parents and your family think about being a comedian? And do you get to do you go back there a lot? And, you know, like, what's their impression of all of this? What's your, what's your first guess? 
Well, I would imagine they, well, first of all, I'd be interested in what they do. I'm going to make a are. guess, if I can guess. <laughs> Haitians, like pretty much any immigrant population, even though your parents are still in Haiti, mm -hmm. but they want the kid to be a doctor. They want their kid to be uh, an educated member of the professional class, not a clown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> immigrant parents are also hacky because they all want the same thing. No diversity of uh -huh. opinion. That's just what seems reasonable and expect you know it's just but what it's they want it's safe they want to brag to their neighbors about having but if you become there. famous they're gonna be like look my son you famous i mean that's a right. terrible haitian right. accent not a haitian idea. accent i don't know what <laughs> i don't know what that was <laughs> but yeah they don't like it uh my they mom don't like is, it. no not at all my mom is the worst about that she really hates it i went home and i did five shows and you know they tried to get her to come and she refused to come yeah she's she's a pretty Awful person. That's hard. You really think of your mother as an awful person, or you're just yeah. Okay. As a well, it's it's just something I had to come to terms with. Just it's a very weird thing to say that your mom is not a great person because your mom is just we we have somewhat of a matriarchal society in Haiti. You you got to reveal your mother, and I had to talk a lot with therapists with accepting that fact that my mom is so. Have you seen The Sopranos? No. Yes. My mom is Livia Soprano, basically. Oh my god. Yeah. That's a good wow. TV show to pitch, by the way. <laughs> you talk about you talk Haitian, about that. Haitian Sopranos. Yeah, that would be fun. I actually have not Haitian Sopranos, but in my computer, I have a, a, a treatment for a TV show. That's something similar to that, because there's so much stuff that goes on in Haiti. It's amazing. But I think that any immigrant sort of family would relate to yeah. that. What now that brings up an interesting point because Thank now you. diversity <laughs> in programming is this is I'm not going to say it's the golden age because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah. But right now we have well first of all we were talking about it before the show the Squid Games is a Korean show that's become the most popular show on Netflix or is about to be. Yeah. Um all kinds of show you know Ali Wong had her uh is 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 becoming you know a big or has become a big yeah, thing everything you know then open. there's then there's uh our friend gina yashire show yes bob hearts yeah. on abc yeah the point is it's diversity is in you're diverse where's your show <laughs> <laughs> or have you been approached or what, what is there any well i have a couple of things that i've been working on the whole diversity is in thing <sighs> Some of it sometimes feels like a masquerade. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't want forced diversity. I don't want you to just put a black person in a thing just to have a black person in a thing. Because it, then it becomes worse because then you're going to write these people based on what you think they should be, as opposed to actually letting these people write what they want. And, you know, I, I like diversity of thought a lot more than I like force racial and ethnic diversity because it's not genuine that's just not how people are because like every so show you see a show where the everybody's friendship circle is diverse and you're thinking to yourself right wait a minute white people don't hang around with this many black people exactly <laughs> just this little like if you look at the golden girls that's a show a lot of people love it because yeah. every culture has that group of women in it so it's a show about a bunch of white women, but it's actually a very diverse show because I know a lot of Haitian women who love that show. I know a lot of black American women for who sure, love that. For sure, for sure. Because that's, now if you just force it and just put a bunch of black women in there just for the sake of diversity, the show wouldn't be the same because now you're focusing on the wrong, it's like skin dip diversity. It's that not would real be, diversity. But, but yeah, we, but, 227. as in the case with, <laughs> as, as in the Squid Games has shown us, 
is that um, white people in America are not against watching Asians, a bunch of Asians, and probably wouldn't right. be against watching a, a show that focused on Haitian culture. That's Haitian. right. People love good entertainment. I think, oh, OK, there's, there's this thing where people are tribal in nature. Yes, they want to see themselves. But I also think people will get out of that if they see themselves in other people. Like I watched The Sopranos and I told her of Livia. I'm like, oh, that's my mom. I never thought, oh, that's a white Italian woman. I'm like, oh, that's exactly. I've seen a lot of shows with black women, black mothers. None of them were my mother. Livia Soprano was my mother. So that tells you a little bit about what the idea of diversity we're trying to promote. I think we go about it the wrong way because it's kind of it's a little bit bullshit. Did you hear this is related? Did you hear about this woman on ESPN who got suspended uh, for making some remarks? Uh, uh, did you uh, a black woman on, on ESPN? Is it Rachel Nichols? Uh, it might have Carrie, been Carrie well, Champion. Something. Oh, Carrie Champion got suspended. I love that. She's so cute. Uh, I, I, can, I mean, I can play it. Um, let me see. Carrie if Champion is a, is what? I'm not familiar with. Kevin. She's on ESPN. She's a sports, oh, she's a sports commentator. commentator. Yeah. And she's a black woman. Yeah. She's gorgeous. And she's great at her job. I don't want to appear sexist. Periel. I'm just. Well, oh, no. I'm entitled to be attracted to a woman. <laughs> um, I like I, the idea that nobody would be offended by that. But me, the men, <laughs> the men don't give a shit if you're being sexist. Oh, yeah. They all love it, too. Why not? <laughs> well, it's not sexist. Hold on. I'll, 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 but I, I can share it and play it. Hold on. Hold okay. on a second. Hold on. Um, Remember how to do this where you could advanced uh, share sound optimized for video clip. Nicole is the share screen thing on multiple. No, no, no. I, I got it. I got it. I got it. Mm, I don't know if you do. I do. Okay. You can see that, right? Yep. We got it. And I'll play it and you're going to hear it. And oh. it didn't work. <laughs> what happened? Your porn is coming up. It, it, uh, oh shit! Is it really? <laughs> it, it um. So it, it uh. That was weird. That it did it. I'll try it again. Attractive woman. Yeah. She looks like Leanne Lord a little bit. Who's a comic? We have to sit through the yeah, CNN commercial now. So let, let me let me mute it for the commercial. Um. So I so I was gonna play, and then you can tell me what you think about this. I I thought she got a total. Bum rap here. She seemed like she was just speaking her mind and she got suspended. But um, IMDb original si series IMDb now has has programming. How yeah. is it that I don't have any? I mean, there's so many TV shows. You think I could get a job? <laughs> you can't get a gig at IMDb. Then OK, here it comes on Leverage Redemption. Hear that right? Seasons of Leverage. Yeah, we got it. They were wondering, they're like, why is it so important to you to say that you're biracial? I'm like, I because my mom's white. She's Irish Italian and my dad's black. And I, mm -hmm. I'm like, why? Why not? Like, right. I actually feel like I have the best of both worlds. Barack Obama chose black and he's biracial. I'm like, well, congratulations to the president. That's his thing. I, I think that's fascinating consider, considering his black dad was nowhere to be found, but his white mom and grandma raised him. But hey, mm -hmm. you do you. I'm going to do me. Hi. Joining us now to talk about this is Carrie Champion. Got suspended for this. Wait, Carrie oh, Champion on. was not suspended. The, that girl was suspended. The girl who that said she oh, that's not Carrie. Was biracial? Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I, yeah, whatever her name is. Yeah, I, I, I sorry. I just yeah, read it. Yeah, okay. Well, which is the one that uh, the TJ wants to have sex with? 
Carrie Champion, but she's also very pretty. The other so one, I would I, have sex with both. The other one that looked like Leanne Lord, at also, the same time. also, uh, <laughs> Sage, Sage Steele is her name. Sage Steele. And, she, Sage and what does Steel. she do for a living? Is she a uh, CNN broadcast? She's, she's an ESPN star. anchor. Okay, got uh. it. Okay, Paige Steele, which does yeah, sound like Sa- a porn star to me. Paige or Sage? Sage, oh, yeah. Sage Steele. That's what I saw. Sage Steele. I just sort of hold on. So she got suspended or fired because she said she's biracial as opposed to just saying she's well, she said because no, she said that about what the president, the president Be- had. A I, I guess they took it at because she said, well, what's up? Because she made a remark about Barack Obama's father not being there like she was. I mean, it's just crazy. First oh, of all, that, but she was saying Obama is also biracial, but he chose black. That's what she said. She said- yeah, she's saying what's go the matter, Perial? No, no, I was just going to go ahead. So, so she's saying, in my opinion, she was saying that she was pointing out that it's interesting that he chose to to um, in her opinion, interesting that she, he chose to embrace the black side of him, even though the, it was the white side of him that raised him that now it's ah, but, I see. Well, then she said, you do you, which is yeah. kind of so she obnoxious. His, his black father wasn't now, there, but, but she but but what but this woman afterwards, Carrie Champion says is that, well, he's make she's he's she's making an anti black remark about you know, the black uh, dads or whatever is not being there. But either way, she's 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 biracial. She's speaking her mind. And this is crazy that people are getting suspended for Now, I'll tell you this. No Jew would get suspended for saying things that other Jews didn't like. Like if somebody went up there, like Seth Rogen uh, said, uh, you know, I don't understand this Israel thing and blah, 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 blah. He got in a lot of hot water for that. Well, people, no, people criticize him, but nobody said he should get fired. Like, right, like right. it's just it's if I I mean, I'm I, I just think that this is just wrong. And I and I I'm not black, obviously, but I can just imagine that if I were black, I might be like, why are they treating us like children? Like, why can't like I don't have to agree with every single thing that every black person yeah. says. But no. And what if it was a white person that said Barack Obama's father was nowhere to be found. Why is he identifying as black? How would well, you I'd be that? listen, I'm OK with anybody saying whatever they want to say, really. But I would if a white person said that it would have the additional baggage of being presumptuous. And, and you know, I, I get that that would be a dicier issue. But she's actually talking about her own life experiences as a biracial woman. Right, and right. she's sharing with us what she feels, you know, about and and so what do you think, TJ? I think part of the problem we have now is social media and just this culture of presenting who we are as opposed to being who we are. It's created a lot of fake people. So whenever somebody actually speaks an opinion, that's how they really feel, then we get terrified by that and we just go quickly to fire. I'm completely against firing someone for an opinion. Me you can too. fire people for crimes or for hurting other people's livelihoods, but you cannot just get rid of somebody for saying something that they feel that doesn't hurt a group of people. Just this, the notion that somehow black people are offended by this so much so that ESPN has to get put this woman out of a job because of an innocuous statement that she made. That's, that's just sort of infantilizing black people in a weird way. That's what it's doing. I agree with you. Uh, I'm happy you said it because I, I, I feel just on a human level, that's just what it seems to me like. And, and, and the fact that they don't treat other groups this way is part of that picture because it's true. They don't treat Jews that way. Well, do they treat Asians that way? Because Jews are considered white. 
Whether no, you, no, no Asian's going to get fired for saying something controversial about Asians. It's all they, it's it's crazy what's going on. Can you imagine this poor woman? She's black or she's half black, you know. And she, I mean, she gets. I mean, she's not fired. She's suspended. I suspect they give her her job back. I, they probably overshot. But just just this this go to thing now of firing or suspension. It's yeah, too much. It's, it's, I, it's if weird. I were to suspend her, it would just for be for using the obnoxious, overused phrase "you do you." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, that's, it's, that's it's right up there. Beat. It's right up there with full stop in terms of just phrases I don't need to hear again. What about treatment? Uh, but, but I'll tell you something interesting. Or conflate. Uh, can I can I tell you something? This is interesting. I use I use conflate today, but I use it properly. It's, it's seldom, you know. I use it because it was exactly the right word at the right time. Um, so my uh, stepson Nicholas is is mixed race and um so uh, this, kids. no but this is interesting okay he always had a resentment towards barack obama too i i never understood <laughs> no and, and i'm thinking maybe that's part of it i don't know like he never really expressed to me what it was and i used to get upset when he would criticize obama because i knew that people would assume that he was getting it from me so i was like shut up about that <laughs> obama stuff and I was like, oh that's because your white dad was like and i never had anything against obama Except except uh, on Israel. So um, <laughs> but I mean, like he never heard me saying bad things about Obama around the house. It was and he would say, you know, he's he's why does he say he's black? So maybe that's a somewhat common reaction that other mixed race people might have no, about. I don't Obama. think that's what it is. I think that Nicholas has a fraught relationship with his own father, who's black. And you're really the one who raised him. So he identifies you really as his father. Yeah, but that's that her reason- point. What? That was her, that was her point. Yeah, I She's get like, that, but I'm saying I think that that's why I think that the Nicholas's beef is specific. Well, when people see Barack Obama, they see a black man, you know, generally speaking. So I think that's this, why- one, this, one, this woman looks like a black woman to me. You know, the average person would look at this woman and say, oh, that's a black woman. Yeah. And it's it's a very tricky thing because I, I I think some of it might have come from slavery. The notion that no matter how little or how much blackness you yeah. have in you, you are a black person. But if you half white and half black, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying you're biracial because you're from two very different races and possibly two very different cultures. Yeah. Or it's just like how you feel, too. Right. right? Like sometimes right. you identify more with one thing than you do with the other. Absolutely. Do you know, uh, I, I, TJ? Can I, can I just answer that question? Because I think yeah. I think the right answer is this. When you are biracial, you are both half half and half is a weird way to put it. Yeah. She is a black woman. She is also an Italian woman. She is both. And she has every right to identify with all the black culture that she wants, as well as all the Italian culture that she yeah, wants. Just like yeah. my kids who are half, uh, you know, they're, they're well, they're half Jewish and then half Puerto Rican and half Indian. But let's just presume for a second they were half totally half Puerto Rican. They, they can be totally Jewish and totally Puerto Rican. Right. Why? They, why don't they don't have to choose? Yeah, they can I embrace both fully. Yeah, but, but get the, to go on birthright and get a free trip. But the, the black thing, of course, it, when you are a, a a group which is historically discriminated against, um, and when the when the world views you that way, first of all, it's natural for you, I think, to cling to that uh, closer because that's the way the world treats you, as it were. I put that in quotes, treats you. But um, nevertheless, 
if your mother or your father, whoever it is, is Italian and you love your father and you grew up there and you enjoyed that part of your culture, why would you want to be pressured to pretend you're not that? You are that, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so this is all silly. She should be able to say whatever she wants. I agree. Anyway. You were going to ask a question. I was going to ask a question because uh, I know very little about Haiti, to be honest with you. But mm -hmm. do you know... Your ancestry, I mean, African-Americans have often been cut off from their ancestry mm -hmm. and don't really know it. I was wondering if if Haitians, who are also African-descended, mm -hmm. yeah, do you know where you come from? You know, all those I generations I actually ago. got curious about that two years ago when I did 23andMe. And, I, you know, not surprisingly, I'm West African, like most Haitians, and I'm 34% Nigerian, 20% uh, Congolese, and then there's Senegambian, which is a combination of Senegal and Gambia. There's a whole lot of stuff there, but it's just, it wasn't very like, oh, that's cool. But it was just like, oh, that's- But how, exactly do you know how right. many generations you go back in Haiti and when they came, or do you have any of that? I think they told me that the last living West African ancestor I had was from 1870. Wow. Yeah. But Haitians were brought for the first time, West Africans were brought to Haiti in 1503. So it's been, it's very far removed. But what was impressive was uh, when I sent it in and they sent me the, the DNA stuff, they somehow knew that I had very recent Caribbean ancestry because there's none of that information is given. It's just a spit that you put in a tube and you send it away. And they gave me all the African stuff. And then they made sure to say, this is where in Haiti you have the, your most recent ancestry. And it was very very like accurate to like to the T. like they have a little map and they show you this darker area is where your ancestor might have been and it's actually the area where i'm from by the way tj when you did the 23 and me when you did the 23 and me you didn't make the same mistake i did did you you spit in the tube right because <laughs> no, i know like men don't like to read directions is. that's all i said <laughs> you would think that i've told this before you would you would think the obvious but you know, you're not supposed to send them the well, obvious <laughs> What they don't want the, that is DNA. There a native population in Haiti, like of, of Amerindians that no, and I talk about this a lot. It's something that I wish we had. Like who was there when the when the when when the French and the and the Africans? There were a little population of uh Native Americans, sort of called uh Arawaks and Tainos. Yeah. And oh, they were similar to like the Incas in Peru and like the Aztecs in Mexico, sort of very similar culture of Native Americans, but you know, a different twist on it. But when Christopher Columbus and his people came, they kind of decimated all. So of they're them. all there's not nothing. Yeah, left. we don't have any of that, unfortunately. It's very sad. But it might be that you have some of that in you. Possibly. That may be how they figured out that you're from, or maybe they just they compare you to the other people that they know are from Haiti. Yes. Yeah, I don't could, know how they could do have that. been that. I don't could know have how they that. do that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, TJ finds us, I guess, a little less interesting than I do. <laughs> no, I find it very interesting. Um, uh, I think that uh, we, we have, we're out of time. I was going to say, I, I'm looking forward to seeing TJ on stage. Oh, you haven't seen it? Well, we're not quite out of time. We have a few minutes. Okay, go ahead. But but um, how long have you been here at the cellar? I got passed officially on July 3rd. Yeah, it's been a few Were months. you recommended? By yes, I was recommended by uh, Will, the Haitian OG, Will Sylvans, uh, Sean Pine, Janelle James, and Emma Wilman. Yeah. We don't, I mean, recommendations like it's that Janelle is really funny. How, how that doesn't really have any weight, right? Noam, I mean, it, the recommendations just mean SD will take a look at your tape, right? But it doesn't have yeah. any additional weight than that. 
Yeah, if I went and bum, I don't think Esther would be like, oh, but yeah, yeah but Emma likes them. Yeah, so I think you still have to prove it. So no, but uh, there is there is this awkward thing when somebody like famous famous recommends somebody and they suck. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dicey situation. Yeah, how do you deal with that one? Does that really happen very often, though? Yeah, not often, but it happens. Um, uh, in the end, we, we 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 don't use them. We don't. Yeah. Sometimes I'm sure it's done like I owe this person a debt. So but what what if Ray Romano and he would never do it? This is just a hypothetical. Said, "Hey, no, I'd really appreciate it if you used. I mean, if you use this guy, like, you, you know." I consider it a personal favor if you used him <laughs> every week, every weekend on every show. We'd have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't be like Robert De Niro in Casino, where you said he's, you know, where remember that that old cowboy said made Rob Robert De Niro hire his nephew or something. <laughs> Niro, I can't do it. You know. Anyway. No, I, I, I just, you know, these are my. These are nightmare scenarios. I hope it never happens. <laughs> yeah, Ray wouldn't. Just to be clear, Ray Romano would never put do anything to put you in an awkward situation. But I'm just using that name and throwing it out. Who's the most likely famous person to do that? Let's build a team. <laughs> who, who would do it? Well, Noam's not going to say. <laughs> no, none of them. None of them. None of them. The, the famous, the famous people, at least to the extent that I know them, are, are tremendously. Um, deferential to us and what we need to run our business. None, none of them have ever, ever thrown any weight around in, in any way whatsoever. What, um, well, uh, it's funny you we talking about this because just today I discovered, you know, Facebook, they don't throw away any messages that, that would you exchange messages? Although I usually delete them because oh, I have sort of obsessive compulsive. But for somehow I thing. saved a message I stumbled on from Whitney Cumming from 2008 asking me to recommend her to Esty. Oh, wow. So I, I thought it was an interesting bit of. Did you do it? I probably did. Is it 2008? It was a 2008. And she said, can you recommend me to Esty? Um, and I, I, I probably did because I don't basically know because you deleted the message. No, I, I uh, did. I delete the, uh, the you, response. You text him and he deletes it. You're like, did you get my text? This was but this was a Facebook message. And I think that keeps it. Even if you delete it, it comes back. You can't really delete a Facebook message permanently. Um, but I, I'm sure I did because my policy is to is to when anybody says recommend me to Esty, I recommend it to Esty and then let Esty deal with it. Okay, Dan, you forgot a very important talking point. With yeah. all due respect to your policy about not letting me pick subjects. Well, but if I pick the subject, then yeah, that's obviously not the same thing. I emailed everybody about doing a live podcast. I, I can't do that. For Dan's book. Oh, you could do it. I, I get too much stage fright. You'll be large. okay. You're on stage every Monday playing music. It's different. Well, he knows what he's doing when he's playing. Well, he knows what he's doing mm. when he's talking about your book, too. You Noam could... is highly opposed to doing it live. If we can, it, we'll, we'll work on him a little bit more, but then at that, that we have to let it at some point, we have to respect his wishes and, and let it slide. But we'll work on him a little bit more. But can, that, we can, I, can I do yeah, Can I do yeah. it by Zoom? Can I do it live via Zoom? Well, no, because then I'm going to be on stage with him alone and you've read the book and you well, love it. Read the book. That, well, read my book and then I'll read your book. I've written two <laughs> fucking books. Nobody here has read them. Yeah, that's the suspect. That's sexism. That's it's totally sexist. <laughs> well, maybe Hatem would like to do it because Hatem was going to do something with me anyway. And um, 
Harriel, you're refusing to read Dan's book? No, of course not. I'm going to read it. But I do think that there's a little bit of a double standard. I mean, you've never said to Dan, Dan, are you not reading Perriel's book? Look at him. Are both your books autobiographies? No, Perriel's book's a memoir, so it is autobiographical. Mine is a novel with autobiographical elements to it. Oh, nice. Is it funny? I'm sure. Well, I think so. I think it's funny, but it's also poignant, bittersweet. Okay. Um, profound. Wow. It's got everything in there. <laughs> you know, there's even a little bit of sci-fi in there. You're a good salesman of yourself. I like it's it. great. I actually started reading it and it's really wonderful. No, I'm just, I I'm will just... read Perriel's book. But the thing is, if you if you wrote the book since don't read him, I don't care. But don't give me shit about not reading something else. I don't care. You do a good impression of someone who does care. But anyway, if um if if you had written a book you know, contemporaneous with this podcast, I think I would read it. Some book that you wrote 10 years about President Bush. I mean, that was my (laughs) first book. My second book is not about Bush and neither is my first book, by the way. And then I and I know people have read it and read them and they're very explicit. And and I don't want I don't want to I don't want to picture you, you know, with a a penis in your mouth. And and I just don't. (laughs) Do you have a book, Noam? Are you the only one in this without a book? Yes, I don't have a book. He well, do you go. have a book, TJ? No, there's probably one in you probably could get a book deal, by the way. Phil Hanley just got one. actually talked to an agent about a book. Yeah, Noam should write a book. Noam right? should write a book. What a novel? No, no, you should write a book just like about, you know, call it like racialized America. And t- one of those books <laughs> that, like that's you know, going to get you on TV. You should write like a political, you know, like how you are. And you could you could do or it, it could be tales from the comedy seller. No, he doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't want to write that. But OK, Fred Kaplan could get you in touch with his agent. I bet you could get a book deal. I um, I'm less and less interested in politics. I find myself I'm barely reading it. I'm barely keeping up. But like, I know there's this there's this and then that story about this woman or disappeared or is murdered or something. That's a hot story. I don't I've no idea. Dan was obsessed with this story. Um, it was an interesting story. Yeah, I, I haven't really paid attention. I think they're still. Well, it's very likely that he did, but I don't know if they found him yet. He may be uh-huh. dead. I, I suspect he's dead. Isn't Dog the Bounty Hunter looking for him? Didn't he say that he was? Yes, he's looking him? for him, but. Noam. Yeah. I think that the kind of let's not call it a live podcast, even though that's what it'll be. It'll be you interviewing Dan about his book. You can certainly manage doing that for like 40 minutes at like the Pussycat. Why? Why do you think people are going to come watch that live? Because Dan's an interesting guy. Yeah, but they can they hear us on the podcast like. Yeah, but then we could sell books afterwards. The audience could ask Dan questions. Listen, can you ask can you ask your friend who owns uh, Stand Up New York if we can do it there? Sure. That's fine. Yeah, I'll do it at Stand Up New York. Will you will you ho- will, but, you, but, but, will you be the host at Stand Up New York? There? He's being a wise ass. Right. You, you're going to host it at Stand Up New York then? I'm just saying, like, if, if, if it's if it's but a no risk, wants the room a risky ticket, filled. I'd rather he take the risk. He doesn't see how they're going to we're going to fill the room with that on the bill. I mean, maybe we should just do a comp like Hatem's idea was to just do a comedy show. And then so it's a comedy show anyway. And it'd be good with good with good uh, comics on the show. And then I could talk about the book and say, if you you can buy a copy, you know, I uh, guarantee you I'll do whatever you want. I'll oh, do whatever thank you. Want. That's how I like to hear you, honey. <laughs> we could sell out the pussycat on like a, it's people. Be- well, but you have to figure out a way to pitch it. That's satisfying because the average person goes to the comics on their website. He's going to say, 
No, Dan Adam talks about their book. I mean, if it's a comedy, you know, it'll I, be a special show. We'll put together a special show. It could be comedy, too. I'll come watch it. I, I, I would love to see to be able to hear or read the, the bubble over TJ's head about Periel. Like he's just meeting her. Like, what does he think of her? You know what? You are the <laughs> only person that finds me insufferable. <laughs> well, the truth is, Noam and Periel are pretty good friends. Noam invites Periel over to his house. Periel spent more time in Noam's house than anybody else. So at the end of the day, he finds you quite sufferable. No, but you know what he said to me? Because we, our families were quarantined together by accident. Ah. But that you bought me this shirt. Did you buy me this shirt? Uh, no, I bought you the one with the Puerto Rican stuff on it. You didn't buy me social distancing expert? No, I bought oh, you Backyardo, Quarantino, Backyardo, and Porta something. Did you buy and me he, Trophy Husband? No, I did not buy you oh, Okay, go ahead. Anyway, go ahead. I bought you the AOC shirt. All right, go ahead. No. Um, and he, I mean, literally, because, and our kids are really good friends, but for like 18 months, we were locked in. We were the only people that I saw was him and his wife, and I adore his wife. And no, and all we did was just argue politics to the point that my husband and his wife were just like, I cannot sit at a table. And Noam I, I said, could see that. And Noam said, and you should listen to this. I'm listening. No, I don't want to delete. Take, you're deleting. My I don't page. want to take too much more TJ's time. Noam said, I don't know what horrible thing I did in my life that of all the people in the world to get stuck in a house arguing politics with, it had to be you. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. I don't remember saying that, but I, I, I that it sounds, sounds like, like you, <laughs> yeah. but he was probably being at least half kidding. I think anyway. I put it. I'm sure I, I'm sure I had a, a more pithy way to express <laughs> it. I was like, I must have been Mussolini in a previous life. To this. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's are we out of time now? Well, we're, we're, we're technically never out of time, but, you know, it's 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 we like to keep it tight. And TJ, uh, I guess he has to be on stage at some point. Yeah, can Luke cut in? Can Luke cut into the special? Can Luke cut in? Oh, he's got plenty of time. What? Yeah, I have a couple Luke, more questions. I'll answer them. Can Luke cut into this episode? Some of TJ's uh, publicly available stand-up. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can put. I can send you guys some. Clips. So TJ's special January third is available on what platform? YouTube, uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon. Now, is this called January third because it's kind of like a little like this January sixth and this is January third? <laughs> that <laughs> that was before. That was way before. It has no relation whatsoever. Oh, it's not three days before. It's a year and three days before. Yes, it was 20, 20, 20. I see. January right. 6th happened. What? 2021. 2021 yes, happened yeah. this year. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so well, Jan just there's, there's no way around it. If somebody sees January date, they're going to somehow associate it. With yeah, January. it's it's the joke now. Whenever people go on stage, just say January 6th. Everybody knows what it is. It's very yeah. it's in there. Yeah, it was my birthday and it happened to be on a Friday. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just tape my special that night. And it was really cool. And I, also I his podcast, up. Raw Beef with Sean Patton. Now, Sean Patton, we, we, should, we should have you and Sean Patton on together. He, he's he, he's to me one of the, the, the biggest talents in oh, comedy yes. there I is. I up to that guy so much. He's insanely good. He's in, incredibly gifted. All right. Well, Perry, I will work on getting that. Yeah. I'll, I'm 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 yeah, that sounds great. That. I'm so you know Sean, do you know him? Perel? I, do, I don't know him at all, but I'm just over the moon that no, I'll, I'll put you guys in touch. Finally yeah. authorized us to just be allowed to have comments on. <laughs> well, Sean Is Pat. that a note you guys don't normally have? No, well, we oftentimes we'll have a journalist on or somebody and a comment, uh, or an intellect. We just started or an intellect. Those things are mutually. Exclusive. I actually looked you guys up. You had somebody that I actually I like a lot. Uh, Coleman Hughes. You had him on the podcast. Yes. Like yeah. He's an old friend of ours. I like he's, the work that he does. Well, 
TJ, he plays with me at the Altry Monday nights. He's in my band, Coleman and I. Oh, Coleman. he does? Okay, hey, I'll hey. come by on Monday night before my shows and check him out. Coleman um, and I are really close friends. I'll we haven't had him on in a while because he's got a podcast now that's doing quite well. And I guess yeah, conversation he's, he's busy and uh, he does come here every Monday to play his trombone. I just don't like to ask my friends to do the podcast. That's all. Yeah, um, he would do it. Coleman would do it. Um, but yeah, but I'm 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 not sorry. I'm I'm happy that you that you were uh, a fan of Coleman's because he's a he's he's a very substantial intellect in my opinion. Yes, he's very uh, very sharp and he's also very brave in talking about ideas that black people might call him a coon for talking about. Which is a very I really hate this part of the culture where if you don't share the opinions that the public has decided that's the black opinion then black people will turn on you. So I'm, I commend him for doing that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, knowing him very, very well, he's not, he is not one of these guys who's, you know, trying to disassociate himself from his race or his That's right. background. Yeah. He, he embraces uh, his blackness. I mean, I, I hope I'm not, I'm just saying it sounds funny coming out of my mouth, but he embraces who he is very deeply. Yes. I, I feel just, that way. Yeah. I he just follows that. logic where he feels it takes, yes. you know, and is willing to have uncomfortable conversations. Yes, yes. And that's yes. what we're supposed to do if you're a comedian or an intellectual. You yeah. gotta go to places where it might be tricky to go. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. I'll be. I'll look forward to, to introducing you guys uh, on uh, Monday. So, podcast. So, my, you're talking. We're talking about my book. It is available on Amazon.com. I Respiro Before COVID is what it's called. What's the? Oh, okay, that's the title. And Periel's books, uh, The Only Wish I Trust is My Own, and On My Knees, also available on Amazon.com. Also. Um, highly rated nice. on the Amazon one to five star system podcast at comedyseller.com for questions, comments, suggestions, guest ideas, etc. Thank you, TJ. Thank and you for we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I had a good time. Good night, Adios. Everybody. Au revoir. <laughs>